What's going on, everybody? This is James Grandmaster Facts Voice, and I'd like to welcome everybody to a Facts Project. Been a long time, but here we are today. Very special guest, Daniel Calvo, editor-in-chief of Concrete Comics and creator of not only Andy Starboy, but Tenok. We're here to talk about issue two. Thank you for being here, brother. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I'm very, very happy to be here. Yeah, uh, I gotta, I gotta say, uh, a short correction. I, w- I was the editor in chief of Concrete Comics up until ah. earlier this year. Yeah, I left hey. to go solo. I'm a free agent now. <laughs> so. ah, okay, look, you're doing the pump fake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All, right. All right. So, yo, we are here to talk about Tenok and basically how this this category of Mesoamerican, Mesoamerican folklore is now moving forward. Now, if I remember from issue one to issue two, you know, we're here talking about a a god and basically gods and goddesses of 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 this Mesoamerican folklore who have now seem to be displaced, living amongst mortals. And we're talking about maybe around 500 years have passed. Tenok is now basically he's I guess he would say you would say he's in disguise himself and walking around amongst mortals. But the thing is, the creatures that are still out there that he's hunting are still in the midst walking amongst us as well. Right. It's I wanted to to represent a little bit in the story. So the the story of Tenok is basically that 500 years after the conquest of Mexico by Spanish invaders uh, 500 years ago, in modern days, some of the gods, the ancient Aztec gods, they survived, but they are, have been forgotten. They lost a lot of their power, and they're kind of hidden in modern society. And Tenok is trying to hold on to his old glory as a warrior god mm-hmm. as much as possible. So he continues to fight monsters. He continues to go on, on great battles and tries to have adventures and things to try and hold on to his old glory, but he has lost most of his power. Nobody remembers him. Uh, he's lost his path in a way mm-hmm. and, uh, while when we meet him. Uh, and that is why when, when he's approached by the goddess of death, telling him, hey, I can bring the ancient Aztec empire back if you start working for me, that sets uh, a chain of events that is going to lead us into issue two and the conclusion in issue three. And it's just, you know, epic battles, monsters, lots of culture, mythology. I wanted to infuse the book with as much Aztec mythology as I could. Um, and it, it's been, the results have been pretty, pretty good. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. Now, when we're talking about like the, the means and the ways of how they've diminished their powers, what basically alluded to that? Now, we're talking about the Spanish uh conquest into mexico right. now there wasn't necessarily a confrontation between the spanish and the gods there so was it more so a belief thing like the people people's belief in the gods diminished their powers was it that yeah so the the way that i see it in in this world and a little bit from a theological perspective too but uh, the the way that i see it in this um story is that the power of gods gods are the physical embodiments of cosmic concepts right you know war death uh, life all of these things 
uh, that are brought to life to the material world by the belief of millions of people, right? In this case, the indigenous Mesoamerican people, they're kind of like topas, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's the way that I see gods in this context. And yeah, once the indigenous people started to get slaughtered and forced to convert to Christianity or Catholicism by the Spanish, basically an inquisition that came from from Spain and destroyed and caused a genocide all across Latin America. Uh, you know, they're forced to leave their own beliefs behind and forget their languages. And, you know, the, the, the way that the gods are weakened, I wanted to kind of represent that process of the uh, the results of colonization and, and while while there's still like a lot of there is a resurgence and these cultures are not lost by any means and it's not uh, and the religions are still some people practice them in new forms um, and people still learn the mythology and the culture but for a very long time that wasn't a thing and in media I think that we're still very much lacking that representation so I wanted to give my little grain of sand with with Tanakh in that way to kind of like bring back and say, hey, this is a mythology that hasn't been explored enough in storytelling. And it has so much potential to be a successful story, a successful piece of media. And that's kind of where what sparked the creation of Tanakh. Okay. Yeah, because uh I remember there was a there was a segment in book one where a I guess a a a group of young thugs and everything like that were speaking Spanish to Tenoch. And he was basically saying, you're speaking the enemy's language. Right. That was uh, that was a scene that I wanted to include in issue one, but I couldn't because of budget. I'm going to see if uh, I would like to do in the future uh, a director's cut edition uh-huh. of the book uh, to include all the scenes that I couldn't include in the in the single issues because of uh, because of budget. But there's a lot of things that, that I wanted to do um uh, and that i wanted to touch on but yeah tanak is not tanak is an indigenous story rather than a latin story it's a story about indigenous heritage indigenous race indigenous uh you know courage and culture and resilience and that that's what i'm trying to represent with with tanak here nice now now going into issue two um if we conclude at the 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 climactic ending of issue one, uh, and note the the dialogue dialogue basically brings us to this moment, to where he's approached by the goddess of death. He hasn't seen her in God knows how long, and it's more so she's like looking to recruit him to basically get get their power scale back up, come back to the point where they used to be five hundred years ago, and that was basically living gods in praise of all of the mortals that uh, that served to them. And uh, they pretty much just conquered all. And he has a problem with that in the beginning because it seems like the goddess of death has been living well because she's still harboring the lives of people that have just passed. Her power set is seems to be still at its height, but she's uh, she's basically trying to bring their king back to his former throne. But he's like naive enough to take it. But in the beginning, he's kind of like complacent. He's like, no. It's like you seem to be look like you look like you're living well. I'm fine at this point. Right. Tenok, the, the main thing with Tenok, I'm trying to take him through a journey, right? Uh, every story is about change. 
uh, you take a character from point A to point B. If you don't have any kind of change in the character, you didn't really have a story. And a lot of what Tana goes through emotionally and internally in the story is about letting go of his pride. Like he, he's a, a god of war who lost the biggest war, that the most important war that he could have possibly done. Uh, he fails his people, so he, he has an immense complex of guilt, but he still has an ego the size of the planet. You know, right. he, he's a god, he's a warrior god, he's pure testosterone and rage. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the story is him having to come to terms that, hey, I'm no longer a king. Uh, and how do I deal with this world that has forgotten me? Right. So a lot, a lot of the story, a lot of the story of Tanak is definitely going to deal with uh, those patterns of his behavior, being like even presented with a good opportunities, he he rejects because he's uh, refuses to serve anybody but himself. You know, he he's very egotistical, but at the same time has this the heroic streak of being like I'm a protector of my people because it's my function. Uh, but at the same time, he just does it because he wants to kill something. You know, he wants yeah. to kill a monster. He wants to kill some demons and continue to be the warrior fighter that he is. Yeah, he feels like it's the only way that he feels right if he's doing that. But right. yet, but yet you have gods and goddesses like like basically he's kind of like taking up a roommate at this point. Quetzalcoatl, yeah. who is like the he's the god of wisdom, but he's more so accepted his fate. Like he's like he's comfortable living amongst the mortals. He sits back on his couch drinking a beer at the end of the day. He probably enjoys having conversations with him. He doesn't necessarily feel as though he needs to jump back into his former self from 500 years ago. And he's he's kind of like I don't say I'm not going to say he's pandering to him, but he's like he's uh, he he enjoys the life that he's living right now. Yeah, the, I love the character Quetzalcoatl is my favorite in the book uh, for several reasons. But one of, one of them is that he, he's a representative of, I think, a more mature, modern view of a lot of issues. That's like acceptance. You know, I think, I think that peace comes from acceptance. Uh, you know, terrible things happened in the past. Uh, horrible things that we should never forget right uh that we should always keep in mind but i think that focusing on the present while remembering the past and using it as a guide to not repeat the same mistakes and to not uh and to not let us fall into the same patterns or make ourselves vulnerable to certain certain attacks but focusing on the present and being like you know what those terrible things happen but we're still thriving you know then we're still going forward and despite of everything we're still living our lives and we still got joy and love and laughter and that's kind of what i tried to represent with quetzalcoatl he's a god of wisdom he has he suffered through the uh the the great fall of tenochtitlan uh, but while Tanakh is just pure rage and that's the way that he dealt with it, Quetzalcoatl kind of tried to just accept what happened and be like, you know what, they no longer worship us, but in the end they turn out all right. 
You know, like, like, uh, we, uh, just in the first uh, in the first book, there's a scene that Tanakh is complaining, like they no longer believe in us and look at us how weak we become. And Quetzalcoatl is like, well, we also got uh, engineers, leaders, uh, you know, great scientists, mm -hmm. uh, beautiful artists. We we got we we had thrived as a people despite of all the horrible things that happened to us. Yeah. So I think that I think that that's the representation that, and they're both valid, by the way, like uh, it's right. very valid to be very angry about what happened. And I completely agree with that because I do get angry every time that I think about colonization and the, the disgusting genocide that they did on indigenous people. But I also have the positive side of, you know what, at least uh, in we we had that resilience that no matter what the culture survived uh even as much as they tried to destroy it the culture survived the people survived uh you know they, they and that's what matters in the end that the culture survives that we keep moving forward and we can grow again word you know? and that that's kind of the approach that i tried to take with quetzalcoatl he's like the the opposite of tenoch but it, there's a phrase, I think it's by, I can't remember, who's the guy who directed Memento? Uh, that would be Christopher Nolan. Yeah, Christopher Nolan. He, he has a phrase that I really like that's like, in order to create compelling conflict, both sides of the argument need to be right. Mm -hmm. And I think that both when Tenoch says, I'm angry, we need to recover our culture and we, we need to take revenge, that's valid. Mm -hmm. And you have the other side that's like, no, actually, we turned out all right. I mean, we're we're no longer under any any external control. We're we're free. We turned out all right. Yeah. So you had those two perspectives clashing that are also reflecting the perspective of uh, the real world of a lot of people. Um, and yeah, it, it's it, it's a very interesting it's a very interesting dynamic that I got to do there. So it, the way that I look at it and the way that you're basically pointed out is yeah. pretty much there is a there's an angel on one shoulder and there's a devil yeah. on the other shoulder. Yeah. Each of them are playing the conscience for of, of Tenak. Tenak can can basically go either way. Yeah. You, know, so you have the goddess of death talking in his ear, talking about the life that he used to live, where he was sitting up on high and he had people revering his existence. And then you have somebody like Quetzalcoatl who's basically telling them, he'd be like, look, the life that you live, just be amazed that you're here. Right. We're here. They're here. Look at the people now. Right. They didn't vanish after uh, colonialization. They're all still here, thriving, being exactly who they, be, who they are, and propelling themselves into an existence that we have never even imagined. Right. That's dope. Yeah. That's dope. Now, the reception from Tenak One, I know, was amazing. Right. I, uh, this was my first time getting into Aztec mythology for just just from what I knew from slight history. But the the fact is, when you brought this to life in a comic book for the first time, what was the, I would say, what was the reception from Tenak One when you first put it out? It was amazing. The, it, the first Kickstarter did very well. Uh, the second Kickstarter has also done pretty, pretty well. Uh, 
And Kickstarter, the way that we do it is just as a pre-order platform. Mm-hmm. After the, the Kickstarter, the sales were really good. We, I even had the pleasure to have a, an alternative cover by my friend and mentor, Thomas Tene, who has been a, an artist for Marvel, DC, Creed Show, sci-fi, a lot of amazing people, ACDC. Uh, and I got to have the opportunity to have that collector's edition of the book. And so many people have approached me and told me how identified they felt with the character or how they love that it's the first time that they've seen a, a superhero story that has a, an indigenous Aztec character as the lead. And right. that so fully embraces, no, this is the story that we're telling. Uh, we're talking about colonization. We're talking about anger. Uh, we're talking about be, the anger being very valid and like all of those things. And uh, pe- people just really responded to it. The artwork, I mean, the art team, again, I always got to give them a shout out. Serge de Lima on line art, Matthias Hub on colors, Mason Solimine on letters. Uh, they did a killer job with the book they make me look very good uh yeah people people always say oh man you're such a good writer i'm like yeah i'm like i i'm a decent writer but my art team is the one that really elevates it and make right. uh, makes me look real good so uh shout out to them for always doing their best and uh, honestly the reception has been fantastic both from the comic book industry even at uh from people in mainstream level to you know like uh review sites post podcasts then like the the reception has been very very good dope dope and have you felt the same reciprocation from the latin community in the in the comic world yeah i mean i haven't i i don't do that many that many cons but when i do it's just the love is amazing immediately people when they see uh 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 aztec character very strong you know in front of the pyramids and you get that warrior vibe Mm -hmm. Uh, people are attracted to that people are attracted to that uh to that uh strength to that character and the design is very appealing i mean you got all the gold you got the traditional aztec sword and you think oh wow what is this and latin people i mean they're, they're the main people that that back it they're they're the main ones that want to see it because there's a hunger for content that that represents this and hollywood is catching up now i mean you see what they how they changed the more to to be aztec and i know you were going to bring it up i was going to bring that up yeah (laughs) i'm salty about it but i'm also i'm also positive but right yeah man you know what it's it's just good people respond to it and people love it because it's interesting it's an interesting culture it's an interesting mythology and when people people love mythology people love ancient stories and you show them a cool comic that said that has a mythology that most people have not studied before or haven't learned before you got you got something that really attracts a lot of different kinds of readers you know, because right. some people might come to it just because they like mythology. Some people might come to it just because they like the art or because they like action stories. And what you end up with is a really nice, very interesting reader base of the comic. Mm. Now, that, now, just what you alluded to, 
just a second ago. Now, the uh, of course, Namor now taking on a Namor who we know is now uh, not not necessarily I wouldn't even say the antagonist, but of course, the anti-hero in the upcoming Wakanda Forever movie. Right. He is now taking on a Aztec mythology background. Uh, He's literally the actor's name is Tenacuerta. (laughs) <laughs> I know. I loved it. I I love when it was announced because I was so excited that <laughs> that the first of all, I am so excited that the the new Black Panther movie is going to have such a Mesoamerican presence in it. Right. I love that. I think it's amazing, and I'm very proud of it. And Tenor Huerta is an amazing performer. Oh, he, absolutely. He's going to do a fantastic job in it. Having said that, you know. I sometimes get salty when people start saying that movies like Marvel or the mainstream are bringing representation when smaller creators have been doing it for decades, you know? This is true. You got people like Javier Hernandez in LA who's been doing Aztec comics since the 90s. You got people like Rafael Navarro. Um, You got uh, the creator of El Gato Negro. You got so many people. Uh, And even today, you got like, in more independent creators, you got uh, Maxi Rodriguez, Caden Phoenix, mm-hmm. uh, you got Jorge Gutierrez, who did the Maya and the Tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, and you yeah. got a lot of movies now that are coming out, especially in horror, that have the Aztec element in it and are made by Latin creators. So I am always wary when I see a super high budget movie making it a big point that they're bringing representation because uh, it feels a little bit like look, we, we check a mark. Right. Here, come watch our movie. And like, it, it just gets old real quick, you know? Like, uh, to me, I'm more interested in supporting uh, projects made by Latin people mm-hmm. uh, that had that have this, uh, the representation that was done for the sake of having the representation because they wanted to, not because they wanted to get more ticket sales, mm-hmm. but because they wanted to uh because they wanted to to represent their culture right uh and yeah but having said that i i absolutely love that we're gonna get more mesoamerican representation in major ips because that that'll give smaller ips a chance Mm -hmm. of getting picked up or or of just becoming successful as they are you know like uh the the more mesoamerican content becomes popular the more smaller mesoamerican ideas or concepts or ideas get made and more latin people get paid and honestly man as long as latin people are getting paid i don't care i'm happy you know what i mean i love to see a latin person get paid so you're taking your own you're taking your own advice from from your own story yeah so what's happening you're still existing you're still existing man (laughs) yeah i'm when you when you're taking a, a director like Ryan Coogler who did the first one and of course is going to do the yeah. second, I'm not sure which, this guy. Yeah. yeah, where you're where you're getting. I'm not sure where you're getting the idea from. Yeah, uh, it may have come from Ryan Coogler himself to basically transform Namor into a Mesoamerican Aztec mythology figure. Right. Um, or it might have been Marvels. We do not know. Right. But, but I I'm I'm going to take it from the subject that Ryan Coogler, of course, grew up in Oakland. Oakland, California. So the majority right. of the of the base in which he grew up with was primarily African American and primarily Mexican. Chicano, so, yeah. Yeah. So like you're you're looking at it from that aspect and be like, okay, if anybody 
outside of Latin culture could see this through through their eyes. Right. Maybe, maybe it's somebody like him. And I hope he represents it well. Right. No, I have no doubts that he's going to do a great job. Yeah. Absolutely no doubt. And if, if anybody was going to do it, I'm glad it's him. Yeah. Like, I, I trust him with this. I'm not I'm not worried about what it's going to look like on screen. Right. Um, and yeah, man, you know, I'm not I'm not one of those people who think that only Latin people should write Latin people or that only black people should write black people. I think that as long as you write a good story, I don't really mm -hmm. care. As long right. as you don't give me Miles Morales Thor, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty happy. <laughs> I, I, I never even go there. I saw it and Bruh, I still scream by Odin Spade, like uh, just as a random. That's how I say hi to Lonzo. I'm like by Odin Spade, and I just like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that was embarrassing, bro. Because the the writing was a stereotypical Mexican, a Mexican writer, and I was just reading. The comic guys like, why do you have to do this to us? You set us back. <laughs> you just closed the door for so many. <laughs> yeah, because like I, I, and no, we're talking about Miles Morales Thor, which was like a, a combination crossover that happened in Marvel, and literally the entire dialogue was written in stereotype. All of it, even it the art. So bad. The art was even done in stereotype. It was pretty bad. <laughs> I feel, I, 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 it just cracks me up that everybody saw everything every step of this process of making a comment and they're like yeah this looks good yeah this is a good idea like nobody said anything nobody nobody saw it i went like y'all uh you know this is getting a little too much right uh ask out is this hood <laughs> oh. oh that yeah that was bad that, that it was bad. terrible so was anyway bad. as long as that's not that doesn't happen i think that it's good. Whoever whoever has a good story to tell and tells it with good intention and a good storytelling and gives me a good movie, that's all I care about, really. Give me a good movie, uh, and that's about it. And I hope that the more bigger movies happen, the more opportunities happen for people who might not have had that opportunity before, which is what we're seeing thanks to Black Panther and the massive success that it had. Mm -hmm. You got a lot of smaller Black-owned IPs that are getting picked up. It's very true. Like uh, Demon Slayer, uh, uh, Harry Tubman, Demon Slayer, the antagonist. You know, you start to see a rise in smaller IPs now that are getting picked up that mm -hmm. wouldn't have been picked up if uh, Black Panther hadn't been a massive success. So I'm thinking, I'm hoping that this movie that's coming up with Black Panther is going to open the door for a lot of smaller uh, projects that might not have been picked up by uh if it hadn't been a success and i hope it is a success for for marvel the next black panther movie very true now uh now that we're going into issue two and note there could be many uh deaths of many innocents at stake the the rise of ten i could like where do we see the journey going at this point and what would you like the readers to understand of tenox uh tenox uh journey going into issue two so in issue two tenox is Face with a lot of things. So the 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 Mictlantecutli, the goddess of death, she gives Tenog a mission to go retrieve a mystical artifact called the Tamoankan dagger. Mm -hmm. uh, the Tamoankan dagger is an instrument of pure destruction. It can end the world. It can give you power beyond your imagination. And it was stolen by the Spanish uh, back in the back five hundred years ago and close in. 
uh, a monastery guarded by a powerful guardian, right? Uh, and Tenok, Tenok, when he was uh, when he was defeated by the Spanish, he was branded. His chest was branded with a Catholic cross. I remember that from issue one. Yeah, so that that scar gives him kind of like the ability to enter churches without being affected by mm. uh, any kind of dark magic that might might have been put there by sorceress. Because uh, yeah, I'm I'm not representing the uh, the church, not Christianity, because I believe Christianity goes beyond any kind of organization. Right. But uh the catholic inquisition organization i'm represented it as a bunch of evil wizards rather than holy and powerful because ain't nobody holy in that uh in that whole process you know mm -hmm. so so i i have this uh or at least in that moment in time that they were yep. executing everybody so uh, Tanok is kind of facing at the beginning of the issue. He's facing this angel warrior who is the guardian of the Tamuankan dagger, and that's that's basically what he is going to be facing on the on the main part of the issue. On the other hand, Quetzalcoatl uh, has to face an ancient enemy that comes out from the from the shadows. Uh, and it's going to be an epic battle that what a lot of people don't know Quetzalcoatl uh, is not only the god of wisdom he is also a dragon he's also the Aztec dragon god mm. uh, so you get to see an epic dragon Aztec dragon fighting in the streets of Mexico against other epic beasts Damn. so this is what you're going to get in issue 2 you're going to get an Aztec warrior god fighting an angel and taking revenge and achieving a powerful artifact that might change the world. Uh, and on the other hand, you get the dragon, the Aztec dragon god fighting other enemies that are trying to, to take him. That's dope. So, we, so we're going to get dragons in this issue. We're going to do dragons, bro. Oh, okay. I'm with it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so, bro, I appreciate you doing this with me once again. Uh, I look forward to issue two. It is still live on Kickstarter for the next 12 days, I believe. Uh, seven days. Last seven week. Day. Oh, we got a whole week. Okay. We got so, a whole week. All right. So we got a whole week left of this Kickstarter for 10 out two, issue two. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank Daniel Calvo for being here with me. It's been great seeing you, brother. I appreciate it. So it's always a pleasure to be here, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So from Grant, uh, James Grand Master Facts Voice, Daniel Calvo for Tenak, and we are out. Mm -hmm.